You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Pray that you enjoy our study with us as we're here, connected um, in the bond of love, amen? amen? Connected by the Spirit. So um, we are continuing a, uh, a series of studies. I started a few weeks ago when um, civil unrest began to um, show its little pretty face. Um, I just went into God's Word, and I thought, we're going to talk about these topics, some of the hot topics of our day. And so I think this is the fifth one of those. Uh, so if you go online, it's under the title. I don't entitle my messages, but this is the series, Truth for Tumultuous Times. So um, before we get into that, I just thought I'd read a, uh, a passage um, out of Ephesians 4. As I was just looking at God's Word again yesterday and sometimes things just jump out at you. And I know that um, about a week ago I was here, uh, even last Sunday I was just talking, just the, the heaviness of my heart um, as it related to the body of Christ. We, of course, uh, myself, the, the leadership here, uh, we have fallen in love with people. And we are very spoiled to have uh, had these regular settings all throughout the week with the, the hundreds of homes that we reach through homeschooling, uh, through our children's ministry, through the women's ministry, through the men's ministry. How many of you guys remember that thing we used to do called steak and study? Remember those things? Yeah. Yeah. So from just really, you know, being connected with a, a broad family, different ages, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, just... The bond that Jesus Christ brings, that we should expect, that we should pursue, that we should work through anything for, amen, that when this pandemic hit, we began to miss people. Our hearts began to ache. We began to see people become gripped with fear and doubt and confusion, a lot of different opinions floating around, even within the body of Christ as to what's going on, how we should respond to it. And so uh, it has meant the world to have the opportunity to continue reaching a large audience through um, all the different online platforms and all the different just daily devos you've been doing, the teachings, the, the phone call ministry here, the porch ministry. All of that's been huge but the, and effective, very effective. But the narrative of our world, not just a narrative relating to a pandemic, but now civil unrest is also very real, very powerful, highly influential, highly toxic. And so as leaders of a home, I'm sure as dads, you've had heavy hearts as it relates to your wife. If you're a biblical leader in a marriage, you have had a heavy heart for your wife. You've had a heavy heart for your family if you're a parent. Amen? I mean, yeah? And as the body of Christ. And so for all of you who have been all in with the vision that God has given us. And you're like, this is the family of God. And we're here not just for ourselves, but for others. Thank you. Thank you. It has been very effective. And we thank you for that. But it ain't over. You guys realize that it's not over, right? We're, we're just, it's time to roll up our sleeves a couple more notches, okay? If you got guns like me, you're not afraid to roll up your sleeves, all right? Ephesians 4, 
Paul here saying, you know, and he himself gave some to be apostles, a familiar passage, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor teachers. And here it is. Why? Why would God give the church these gifted individuals? Well, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ. How many of you came here today to be built up? <laughs> to be taught, to be equipped, till we all come to the unity of the faith. There's where we're unified. In a very divisive world, very divided world, even a church, the church throughout America and the church throughout the world, very divided on all of these issues of our day. The, the goal is that God gave us these gifted individuals to equip us, to encourage us, to edify us, that we would be unified in that faith, the faith that we're, the faith, where is our faith? Our faith is where it's placed. What unites us is the unique individuals here that have placed our faith collectively as individuals in Jesus Christ, right? In his word. So, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, that we might be complete. God saved us with a purpose in mind. And that, that one of those descriptions in the Bible is that we become more like his son. And, and that, that goal that we become complete to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer, here we go, be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. Remember how I said, church, <laughs> don't drink in the narrative of the world right now. Be careful how much, be informed, but don't become enamored by it. And I told you, I've been, we've been teaching, keep your feelings in check. Don't be making any hasty decisions. Right now, just get yourself rooted and grounded in your identity in Christ. And the more you're rooted and grounded in him, the less you're going to be blown away to chase down anything else. But speaking the truth in love, this is what we're going to be talking about this morning, living this out that we might grow up in, into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, all of us, is joined and knit together But what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share causes growth. Again, thank you to all of you who have just been in love with the head, Jesus. And you have responded as a member of him, as a connected part of the body of Christ to the head, Jesus. And you have helped this part of the body of Christ grow and mature. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being obedient to him. Because we've been a body that we should be that edifies itself in love. This I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles or non-believers walk. How's that? In the emptiness of their mind, in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. And it gets worse, the digression here, 
who being past feeling, past the conviction of God, past the, the conviction of, of who he is, the conviction that we have in his word, past that, being alienated from the life of God, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your word. As we open up 1 Peter chapter 3 now, and, and we begin to talk about living out truth in tumultuous times. Oh, Lord, have our hearts, our minds, may we be attentive both here in this house and those that are gathered in their house. Holy Spirit, we need you to be our comforter, the one to come alongside us right now, encourage us, teach us, bring all things that we need to know back to our remembrance, enlighten us with further revelation of your word. May we have hope grow and, 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 and may our faith be strengthened as you teach us right now through your word. We pray this all in Jesus, your precious name. Amen. Well, turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 3. We uh, started part of this. We're going to pick up in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 3. But to recap, Peter is writing to Christians living in the Roman Empire. He is writing to Christians who are faced with real opposition, opposition from, if they're Jews, opposition from their Jewish loved ones because their Jewish loved ones feel like they've completely looped it, that they have left Judaism and they're following this radical movement called Christianity. And the, the Jewish community would have, for the most part, written them off and, and opposed them and their family if they've become followers of Christ. And then, of course, you have the opposition of Rome. Uh, some believe that the second wave of persecution, Roman persecution under Caesar Nero, is beginning to intensify. And so... With all of that in mind, in a very oppressed um, culture, in an empire that is very much anti-Christianity, in an empire that is very immoral, very ungodly, filled with idolatry and sensuality, the Holy Spirit sees what is going on with the bride of Christ, those who have been redeemed, and, and inspires these insightful, helpful, encouraging, hopeful words to the body of Christ that will continue to be until the day that the groom comes back for the bride of Christ. And in those earlier chapters, we, we noted that, that in chapter 1, the first thing out of the box is that Peter would want to encourage the body of Christ to just remember their significance before God. Who am I in God's eyes? That's so key. As a, a young man, I, I grew up in a house, a home, where I never questioned who I was in the eyes of my father. Loved me, protected me, provided for me, 
introduced me to Jesus, helped me walk with Jesus, modeled what it was to be a Christian man. I, I knew my significance before my dad through each you know, stage of life. And how that breeds security and stability in the life of a son. How it, how it prepares him for becoming a husband himself, becoming a father himself. Peter here, aged Peter here now, writing as a shepherd. Writing from that, that, that perspective, from that, that heart to want to make sure the body of Christ is okay. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reminding the body of Christ again of their significance before God, that he chose you. It, it speaks that we are his own. We are God's. He's begotten us in verse 3 uh, in chapter 1, which talks about the common bond that we all have as family members through conversion. Verse 4, we all share the same inheritance. We're all on the same path. We're all going to spend eternity together. Amen? We've all been redeemed. Verses 18 and 19, purchased with the blood of Christ. We're children of the same family. Chapter 2, he reminds us in verse 9 that we are a chosen generation. We are this royal priesthood, our spiritual significance. A holy nation, his own special people. But then when you, when you begin to, to, to look at the shift in chapter 2, he's reminding them of their significance, but then he's like, there's a reason I'm telling you this. Because that significance in who you are before the eyes of God needs to be put on display. We are to, dis dis we are to demonstrate what God has done in our life in chapter 2, verse 12, before non-believers, having our conduct honorable among Gentiles or non-believers, that they might, by our good works that they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. When Jesus comes back, that there would be like everybody watching those whom he has redeemed. And, and, and the way that we live our life, that, that the Father would be absolutely glorified in that day when he sends his son for those in whom he's redeemed. We are to demonstrate as well that, that significance of what God has done in our life as we live under unjust governments in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. In the workplace, chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. In, in our marriages, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And then Peter says in verse 8 of chapter 3 here, it's, a, it's the big, you know, finally, almost like he's going to close the letter, but he's like, after saying all of that, I want us to know we all need to have the same mindset towards that. We all need to be of one mind. And that phrase speaks of oneness of heart, of cohesion in purpose. And then we've covered so far, moving forward through verse 8, that we are to have compassion for one another, we are to love as brothers. We are to be tender-hearted. We are to be courteous. We're not to be, and we left off here, re returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Man, does that preach in our day? <laughs> Proverbs 20, verse 22 says, Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord. He will save you. How many of you understand that when God says, Vengeance is mine, he's got us covered? <laughs> About 10% of us. How many of you truly believe that God's got your back? About half of us. 
How many of us truly believe that God will do a better job in taking care of our opponents than we can? Amen. We're getting there. We're getting there. So, if I understand my significance before God, I understand He's got me. I, I do not need to, to return evil for evil. He's got that. We are to be you know, forbearing in that sense. And the reviling for reviling, it's not just I'm to have my emotions in check when some evil thing happens to me by some evil person and not re, re, respond the same way, but, but also my tongue. We are to be forbearing with our tongues, refraining from, from lashing out. So I've got to control my emotions as a Christian if I understand my significance before God and I need to, un, I need to control my tongue as well. On the contrary, I still use my tongue. Verse 9. On the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you might inherit a blessing. I know it's an interesting challenge to get our minds wrapped around God's economy and God's methods, but here's one of those. That as Christians, we need to be blessing anyone that would do us evil. Blessing those who would slander us, insult us, or revile us, or even want to harm us. Knowing in verse 9 that you were called to this, that you might inherit a blessing. God will always honor our loving and blessing others who do us wrong. He'll always honor that. He honors it because it's an opportunity for us to platform His heart. It's a... It's a it's something he wants to bless. He's like, Lance, it doesn't make sense. But you just bless those people that might attack you verbally or whatever and just understand, I'm going to see that as you putting me on display. You're putting my heart on display. You're putting my character on display. You're putting transformation on display. You are displaying what I do with somebody that I transform and make like my son. God will always bless those and will bless others, even in the face of when they're facing opposition. The blessing might come by God enriching our lives or building our faith or, or, or forming more Christ-like character in us or even winning over an opponent to the Lord. Verse 10, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? The, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now again, let's back up. Hey, May we all have this mind. May we all have the same mind in that we would be compassionate, in that we'd be loving and tender-hearted and, and, and courteous and forgiving and blessing those who do us wrong. This is the life that God has designed us to live. This is the truth that we can put on display in tumultuous times. For he who would love life and see good days. What is that talking about? <laughs> I was talking to someone a few days ago. How's it going, man? They just look like they're having a tough time out. Just loving life. 
Really? Doesn't look that way. This phrase here talks about an attitude of faith that chooses to live out Jesus in any circumstance. It's the opposite of being a pessimistic or having a pessimistic attitude that hates life, gets frustrated at life, caves into life or gives up on life. Again, we as Christians are not called to just survive life. We are called to the abundant life, to thrive in life. As we said when this pandemic hit, we're not just supposed to survive this. We are to thrive in the midst of this. Amen? As Christians, we don't simply endure life or try to escape life. No, we are to love life. We are to passionately pursue God and love him and love what he has called us to be and love being what he has called us to be. And this involves controlling our, our tongue and deed. Peter knew the sad, common consequences, excuse me, of a damaging tongue, of damaging speech. Remember, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, Jesus was telling his disciples about the fact that he would be leaving them. He'd be crucified. Peter, of course, takes Jesus off of the side and rebukes him, something I would never encourage anybody to do. He rebukes him. Far be it from you that this would happen, Lord. You don't need to go to the cross. And Jesus is like, look at this is a hard thing to hear. Get behind me, Satan. For you are an offense to me, Peter. Man. Because you are not mindful of the things of God, Peter, but you are mindful of the things of men. That's some, that's some kind of evil speech. Three times Peter would later deny knowing Jesus. His lips would speak deceit. Those were some long, hard days where Peter was hating life and not being very effective in advancing Jesus' cause. But this new, refined, aged Peter has learned something from his mistakes. He's saying, look, if you want to love life and you want to see good days, you better refrain your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Colossians 4, verse 6. Paul here says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each other. And may your speech be seasoned with grace. May it be spiritual, may it be wholesome, may it be fitting, may it be kind, may it be complimentary and truthful and loving and, and thoughtful. When? Always. At home, with your, your spouse and your marriage, with your families. And even in stores right now, man, you know, we, we, we step into stores right now, and it's just different, okay? It just is. Everybody's masked up and robotic out. They're mechanical. They're not looking you in the eyes. And I know you might leave the store like I do, go, what has happened to my world? Well, listen, what a great opportunity to speak through a mask, words of encouragement. You might shock them at first. They might not even make eye contact with you. But you and I know there's a lot of instructions on the floors you've got to follow and all those all arrows and all this, you know, in different languages. And di it's like, what in the world happened to my Albertsons, you know? 
but take the class, get through it. But just as you're going through, don't be afraid to look up at someone and say, how are you doing? Hey, why don't you go before me? Or even try this. I challenge the first service. I challenge you guys as well. This week, one person. Just ask one person. How are you doing? When they respond, one more thing. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? I have not found anybody in this last four months that said, no, no. It's almost like you're offering them a $100 bill. Can I give you a $100 bill? No. No, they're like, yeah, man. What an opportunity to put on display the significance of what God has done in our lives. It's huge. In verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Turn away from any kind of evil inclinations, evil temptations, evil practices. Here we go. You ready? Evil news. How much do you need? The body language is changing this room. That's okay. Be informed, not enamored. The moment you're informed, you're informed. Let it go. What happened today? Check it out. Get your little, okay, I'm informed. Let it go. It's intoxicating because it's toxic. It will change how you think, even as a Christian. If you continue to listen to the narrative and listen to the narrative and listen to the narrative, tune it out, turn it off. And as I ask the church, I'm asking you again, If God allows us how many more days on this planet, please speak about him while you're on this planet to that narrative. Please. I've got a platform right now. For the last three and a half, almost four months, what have I used the platform for? Look at our social media for our church. You will see every platform used for the advancement of Jesus Christ. God has given you health, he's given you life, he's given you a brain, he's given you his word, put all that together and use it to tell people about him and give the hope that you have in him on those platforms right now. Be informed, but don't be enamored. Don't get sucked in. Job, chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, One who, here it is, feared God and shunned evil. There's a good one for you. Shunned evil. Proverbs 16, 17 says, The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. The the upright have a highway in this journey of life, and it's heading the opposite direction direction from those who are doing evil. We are to to depart from that. To turn away. Verse 11. Let him seek peace and pursue it. You see, the, the diligent seeker of anything usually finds what they are looking for. What are you diligently seeking? That which is good or that which is evil? Conflict or peace? We as Christians here, 
as we are considering our significance before God, once we begin to understand that, there's a look to that, there's a practice to that, we are to seek peace and pursue it. Hebrews 12, verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Seeking peace and pursuing it doesn't just happen. We must seek out ways to make peace happen. Then pursue that. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 14, verses 19 through 21. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things that would edify one another. Do not even destroy the work of God for the sake of food or wine. What was he saying there? He was looking at the church, and he was seeing that, that, that some Christians were offensive to other Christians. They were using liberties that they themselves had and exercising their liberties, their convictions, in a way that it was disrupting the less mature in their faith, maybe even shattering their faith. <laughs> Paul's like, no, that's not what this is about. We, we need to pursue the things which make for peace and build up one another. What a good word for us today. Romans 12, 18, he would say, if possible, as much as is in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, you guys know that sometimes it is not possible, but that should always be our goal. We should always be the one, even with someone that's like, I am not going to be at peace with you, brother. <laughs> Were you Christian? That's okay. My goal is that you would understand peace, that I would represent peace that I would pursue peace with you. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, and 12, it says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And I like how he says, now, we used to be able to do this long before a pandemic hit. Greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> what is he saying? He's saying, may your pursuit of peace be motivated with heartfelt affection for one another. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. What's that mean? That means that God is looking after the righteous for our good and recognizing and meeting our needs. But the face of the Lord, verse 12, is against those who do evil. You know, there are a lot of things that are against us in life. The last thing I want is to have the Lord against me in life. We see what the Lord did in the evil generation in the days of Noah. We judge that evil generation with the flood. We see what God did in that, that evil city of Sodom and Gomorrah. We look into the future and we see what God will do with the Christ rejecting. Once the church is taken out of this place and Revelation 6 through 19 unfolds where there's great tribulation in this place. And I look at that and I'm like, okay, if that's what God does with evil people and evil, those that practice evil, I want no part of that. Amen? I want no part of that. I want to be, 
I want to be part of Noah's family. <laughs> I want to be the one that is spared by God, not judged by God. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To those people today that are confused, they're calling evil good and good evil. They're practicing unrighteousness and lawlessness. Those that snub their nose at God, living life as if there is no God. The Bible calls them a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then, verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? The good that we are to follow is the good that Peter just spoke about. The virtues he has listed off in verses 8 through 12 of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? It has been very difficult for me, along with I know many of you, especially if you're called to be a leader. You're a, you're, you're a husband. You're humbled that God has saved you. You're humbled at the responsibility that he has entrusted to you. You're doing your best to be faithful, to stand up in your marriage as the leader he's called you to. You, you find yourself now as a parent, some of you younger parents here, I'm having such a blast watching you. But you're learning that responsibility. You're learning what it's like to, to stand up and lead a home. To you as Christians who have been called to lead in the workplace with so much disruption and so much change, but you're still holding the line. And you're, 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 you're doing your best to stand up and lead and, 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 and live out these virtues. Live out your faith in an uncompromising manner for you in the body of Christ. You who are standing up in the body of Christ. You haven't compromised. You're standing up. You're his rep. You're a representative. You're an ambassador of Christ. You've not backed down. It is difficult for all of those who have stood up as godly leaders to watch others fall and be spineless leaders. It has been so difficult for me to watch church leaders across America and even around the globe just cave in to the narrative of our day, to bow to movements of our day. Listen, there's only one person I'm going to bow to, and his name is Jesus Christ. And that's a choice, by the way. He, he, is, he has overwhelmed me with his love. And that humbles me. But he has, he has commanded my heart and my mind with his lordship. And I understand, as I've signed off to a lot of my friends, trying to encourage them in texts and emails 
I just started signing off. I used to sign off just whatever, Elsie. Hey, Elsie, you know, love you, praying for you. But now it's like, from the front lines. Monsignor Cook. No, from the front lines. That's a joke. That's a joke, okay? You should have laughed at that. That was a joke. From the front lines. It's grieved my spirit. It's grieved my heart to see people who say they're Christians cave in out of fear of a movement. We are the children of God with promises from our Father saying, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? I would rather put my confidence in a man by the name of Jesus Christ than in a movement, any other movement on this planet that is about men and what they favor. I am not ashamed at all to say that what matters in life is Jesus Christ. That's what matters in life. You know, there's, there's people, guys, again, we are part of a movement, but the movement is the Holy Spirit. The movement is not a man. It's the movement of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about this in our study on racism. That as Christians, there is a work that, it's an inside job. It's the work that God, the most powerful force on the planet, has produced in our life to where we are no longer about what used to divide us. We're no longer, you know, slave or free, male or female, Jew or non-Jew. We're no longer that. We, we were that. We were born into this world with fallen nature, depravity indeed, sinful hearts indeed, affected by sin, separated from God, and divided by our indifference. That's what we were. But once we came to Jesus Christ, we no longer are what we were. We're now new creations. And, and, and that which separated us has now been conquered by the greater one that now lives within us. And so I no longer look at people through the color of, of their skin or by their station in life or anything else. We look at each other through the lens of God's word and with the heart of the one who's redeemed us. And we're equal. So when I'm, when I'm convinced that that is what has happened in my life, what matters? Not black lives matters, white lives matters, any other human life matters. What matters is Jesus Christ and what he does in a life. That's what matters. That's what matters. And if we're caving in to the next trend, and what, what is behind the trends? In Ephesians chapter 2, the prince of the power of the air who works in the sons of disobedience. So if I'm caving into the trends as a Christian, what kind of leader am I? I'm a pathetic leader. I'm a spineless leader. I'm a leader that has not built my life on the eternal and errant word of God, which lives and abides forever. We need leaders today that are going to stand up and show what it means to live this out uncompromised leaders that are not afraid of man. Proverbs says the fear of man is a snare. And I'm seeing all kinds of leaders today ensnared by this 
crazy narrative that's playing out through our day. Get over it, man. Get over it. Get back to your first love and let that love of Jesus Christ conquer you again and again and again. Because you've been conquered by something less than him. A movement of a man. That's sad. Jesus talking to the religious leaders. Sorry, but I've just been holding on to this a little too long. But <laughs> I'm not apologizing in that sense. I'm unapologetic of what I'm saying. Jesus talking to the religious leaders. There's all this conversation about what defiles us. And, it, you know, if you eat this, you eat that. He's like, look, it, don't fear that which you take in. You know, if, if you're going to have some bacon, don't be all freaked out about that. A <laughs> little, little bit of Portuguese sausage, you know, the, the, you know I, I don't know what fits your deal. Chorizo, you know, don't get all freaked out about that. Pasole. Don't be all freaked out about that. But someone needs a Winchell's break, brother. I'm telling you. But what you should fear is the one that affects your soul. Come on. I mean... One day we'll stand before him. One day he's going to stand before him. We're in for him. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You served what? Is he going to say that because you served man? You served a movement? Or because you served him? Peter knows that you might even suffer for righteousness. It might happen. It's happening all around the world right now, and it, Christians, it is a coming our way. I'm not saying this to freak you out. I'm saying buckle down. Build your faith. Stand up. Be ready to give that answer for the faith that lies within us. But even in verse 14, if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. Don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. He went on to say in verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer for the faith that lies within you, for the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Jesus, when he was placed on the cross, Peter talked about this in chapter 2. He says, that he committed no sin. Now we know that he was sinless and placed on the cross, but he uses the cross in that passage as an example of the greatest example of unjust persecution or unjust persecution. He was innocent. And they persecuted him. He's our example. Then he says, but there was no deceit found in his mouth when that happened. No treacherous words came out of Jesus' mouth towards those who were crucifying him, treating him unjustly. Nor did he retaliate 
When he was reviled, it says he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he just committed himself to his father who judges righteously. But, but Peter said before that, speaking to the church in chapter 2, verse 21, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. So don't freak out. Don't be afraid in verse 14 of their threats, nor be troubled. Don't do that. Peter here is actually basing this on a promise found in God's word. He's, he's quoting there Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12, where God was calling his people, the nation of Israel, to turn away from fear and from dread because of what the pagan nations were threatening to do to them. And he says, don't be saying conspiracy, conspiracy, you know, all things are conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. What would he base it on? On himself, that they are his people and that he is for them. Again, Romans 8.31, if God is for us, isn't that great? 1 John 4.4, 4, greater is he than is in us then. All right, you got it. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right arm. So what do we do? Verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What's that mean? <laughs> that means to turn everything about me over to him. It means living only to please him. To live in total dependence upon him. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Listen, with meekness and fear. What is meekness? It's power under control. What is fear? It is a reverence that we have towards God. The focus here is, Peter winds this down, is on, on the people that will observe our faith and question our faith. If you're taking in and modeling the truth of God's word in these tumultuous times, understand people are going to take notice. In a world that offers no hope, we have an opportunity to platform hope, real hope. Hope that wells up in those who consider themselves blessed and significant in the eyes of God. Hope that wells up in those who refuse to panic and worry. Hope that wells up in those who direct their minds and place their hearts on God's word. Those that sanctify the Lord in their hearts. Those that are turning everything about them over to Him. Hope that wells up in those who live only to please Him and live a life in total dependence upon Him. And that happens. That hope is real. The opponents of Christ are going to observe the hope found in Christ. And that's going to have an effect on others around us. How many, the last few weeks, 
It was our fourth week meeting in person again. How many came up to me and said, you know, I was losing hope. I just, I was dealing with fear. And, and, and it was everything in my power, it took everything in my power to, to come here. But when I walked into this room and I saw other Christians, it built my faith. And I saw others raising their hands and smiling. When I saw others weeping, it built my faith. So our faith, our hope, does have an effect on others. Not just in this place, but those who are yet to be saved. It's the promise of God's word. It's what God desires to do when we platform, live out truth in tumultuous times. Lastly here, verse 16, having a good conscience that when they defame you, and it is, it is on now, church, so get ready. When they defame you, as evildoers, calling good evil and evil good, when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ, that they would be ashamed. The good conscience here is a conviction. It's an inner conviction that results from being a follower of God's word being a following, follower of what is good, living this out. It's the result of being compassionate towards others, being loving towards others, being tender-hearted and courteous. And it's, it's the result of not returning evil for evil. It's the result of not reviling for reviling, but instead blessing others. When these Christian virtues that Paul has listed out here become part of our life, it, it radically affects how we look at the challenging circumstances in our life. It produces a good conscience, spiritual fortitude, ethical fortitude, emotional fortitude. It produces a stabilizing confidence that is rooted in what is right and what is true and will never change. The Word of God. So when they defame us, and they are, insult us and slander us and denigrate us and vilify us, and hear it, as I've said, but don't believe it. You're a child of God, and those words do not reflect who you are in His eyes. They scorn you and condemn you and slam you and all these words. Narrow-minded, you're a bigot, you're this, that. It's, 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 all, it's all there already. You will be able to stand in the integrity, the fortified identity that affects who you are physically, spiritually, and emotionally. You will stand in that fortified identity that we find in Christ. You will have integrity. And God will use that integrity as a testimony. You just be who He's called you to be and trust how He will use this in this world where there is 
just nothing but just crazy and madness happening around us. Sitting at dinner last night with Lori and my oldest daughter, Kayla. Sitting there and just talking about my experience. I, I went and brought some food in. I was just talking about just, just the life. Just, it's strange out there right now. And so Kayla was going over a few things she was observing as a result of COVID-19 and the spike and all of that. And just I was observing some things I'd picked up on the news about the social unrest. Name it. It's just, it's, it's happening right now. Just people have lost their minds. Would you agree? Yeah. Yes. I'm going to stop there. People have lost their minds. So we're talking about this. And Kayla's sitting there and she goes, and, and dad, dad, there's this dust cloud that's moving over from Saudi Arabia. Now, I, I thought she was now adding more craziness to just more craziness. I hadn't read about it. So I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And what's next? You know, the tribulation? She goes, no, Dad, I'm serious. I go, okay, wait a minute. Don't Google it right now. I said that in the first study, and everybody started Googling, okay? <laughs> the dust cloud has hit its south gulf, and it's moving towards not here. But we're sitting there trying to eat our dinner, laughing at how crazy it's getting. Who would have thought? And I began to talk to her about my heaviness for the church. Because when you're family, you just want to be with your family. You just want to be together. And fear has held us apart. COVID-19 has held us apart. Listen, philosophies within the church are now holding us apart. It's heavy on your dad's heart. I'm so blessed that those who are standing with us. And I said, could it get any worse? Kayla puts a little burrito down that I bought her, and she goes, oh, yeah, tribulation's coming, Dad. <laughs> Taught her well. I am so honored to be part of a group of people who love Jesus and are following his word. It is humbling to be one of many who are holding on to him tightly. I, I almost feel like it's this way sometimes. Like, like I'm holding on to him, and, and, and then my other arm is I'm holding on to you, and you're holding on to him, and you're holding on to me. And we're like, this ship ain't going down. This ship's going up. Yeah. This ship's going up. I feel like we're all inside of Noah's Ark, man. Getting crazy out there, isn't it? Yeah. Don't you dare for, think for a second that in the way that God will judge, he'll judge just by allowing it to unravel. Don't you dare not give God that place. And oftentimes we get in, God's judging here, God's judging. I, I, I don't know all of what is God's judgment. But part of this is just letting it run its course. And like Kayla said, Dad, it's really going to get bad when he pulls out that which is restraining it. And that's you and I. The rap's about to happen. <laughs> come, Lord Jesus, come, Maranatha, Maranatha. We always say until that one person, that last person gets saved, he's patient. And if that is you, would you please give your life to Jesus Christ today? 
please, before that dust cloud gets here, would you please, wouldn't that be great to be up in the air looking down at the, it's hitting Southern California right there. There it goes. Yeah. Let's all stand. If you've not accepted Jesus, would you bow your hearts with me here and home, wherever you're at? If the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word has brought you to a place where you're like, I need Jesus. Jesus says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You might not know what to pray. I'm going to lead a very simple prayer. If this is you, you say it to him and you mean it. Say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I'm a sinner that needs salvation. I believe you died on the cross for me. You were buried. You rose from the dead for me. And so I give you my life. Just tell him that. Invite him in. Say, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. If you've prayed that very simple prayer, we just encourage you. Keep talking to him. <laughs> Keep reading his word. And if we can help you in any way, give us a call. In Jesus' name, amen. You know that song, I Love You, Lord? Yeah? Okay, let's do it. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Amen. Amen.